And then it's like this bizarre dance of drinking the tequila and soda water and like ripping lines in the bathroom with your coworkers until like your body just shuts down. Hey, you're 86. I'm Justin Myers, and this is a show about how bartenders handle bad situations. Mental health is a huge and complex issue in our industry, which is why we are continuing the conversation. My guest today is Brenna McHugh. She's worked in the industry for more than a decade as a bartender, spirits judge, and brand ambassador. And recently she completed her master's in counseling psychology. She's currently a counselor at a substance abuse treatment center. Let's hear what she had to say. Everything mental health is wrapped up in substance abuse, so it's like I get to see it all and work with it all anyways. So I'm pretty spoiled now. Mm. So what, what would you say are the biggest mental health issues in the industry um, besides substance abuse? I know that's a, few, a big one. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think there's so much. Um, I kind of often think about our industry a little bit like the Island of Misfit Toys um, <laughs> because people choose to come into hospitality because they like a certain aspect of the perfectionism and the like giving someone a totally memorable experience and the distraction from your own life. And there's a performance component. And so a lot of, a lot of the mental health stuff overlaps with entertainment industry, mental health stuff. And then you have scheduling components of it as well and sleep and substance abuse. But I would say like a lot of it, anxiety, I think people coming into this industry, there's, there is a lot of, um, kind of clinical anxiety and then stress that brings about anxiety, um, depression. And I would tie that into a lot of loneliness for being such a social, uh, workplace. It is, it it is also an incredibly lonely community. Um, and then probably third to that substance use but then there's all of the other pieces so really like our industry hits it all i think (laughs) yeah um the loneliness is is an interesting component i think i always feel like it's there's like this weird balance between like needing to be alone versus feeling alone like i feel like i don't get enough time alone but then there's all this like wanting to be included kind of thing going on um maybe we can unpack that one a little bit yeah well said (laughs) because you know this is a bizarrely social and socially demanding job like particularly so let's just think being behind the bar um you're on for the entire time and oftentimes people have a, a slightly different persona that they are behind the bar versus who they, who they are in their like day-to-day relationships. Um, and then it's draining. So you want to just go home and stare at a wall. And then what ends up feeding is, or what that feeds, I should say, is kind of this sense of emptiness in your relationships because the ones when you're standing behind the bar working aren't necessarily real or meaningful or intimate and then you go home and all you want to do is lay in bed and like pet your cat for a few hours (laughs) and there's no 
social connection there. So it's a really hard balance to hit. And it is bizarre for such a social environment how many introverted people work in hospitality and figuring out how to strike that balance of wanting real true intimacy in your relationships and connection and also wanting to have that time alone to recharge and figuring out what that looks like that's it's really trying and and I think that has left a lot of people just leaving the industry because you feel so empty at a certain point yeah I think I think it's a question of being present too like I I find it really hard to, to have, have a genuine connection with people even customers or people you have a conversation with or your coworkers when you've got you know like 15 things on your mind that you're trying to to juggle and it's like that's just part of the job you know it's like right. i'm helping five tables at once or something and <laughs> right i can't really genuinely be present or even be genuine with people you know like my favorite thing on the menu is the thing that we need to sell because <laughs> We have too much of, you know, it's like it, it's there's this it is so much of a show, you know, that we yeah. put on. Um, what are some ways that we can deal with that uh, and stay in the industry long term? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned like being present because I think a lot of it, you know, it's funny. I, so many people, the answer to like all of your wildest concerns is always mindfulness and like that never really gets explained and tools for mindfulness never really get talked about. And so I am going to again say the same thing that mindfulness is a huge component of this. And it is that being present and being in the here and now and bringing kind of a sense of human curiosity into every moment. And it is really hard when you have like, God forbid you have actual family stuff or home stuff going on and you have to come in and be this like shiny beacon of selling the chicken dish. Yeah. You leave it at the door. Yeah, exactly. So you compartmentalize everything and then those authentic moments are very few and far between. So kind of how do you bring you allowed to be a human into being also a good employee and a, and a good welcoming staff member when someone's coming in for dinner or drink or whatever. Um, and I think there is a mindfulness component to that, but then I also think like we often talk about making connections with people when you're struggling. And actually I think there's a flip side of that as well. Like how often do we really reach out to our friends by text or by phone or whatever when we just wake up in an awesome mood? Be like, today feels great. I'm feeling really good. I don't have anything else to say, but that's it. And actually that can help feed some of those connections. Mm. And it's a lower barrier than having to pick up the phone when you feel like garbage. Um, It's kind of creating that ritual of connection of like, this really cool thing happened or whatever. It doesn't have to be amazing. It's kind of reveling in the, the normal and mm. keeping a like curious, mindful outlook on the day to day and sharing that. Mm. Can, I, I want to back up just a little bit. Can you define uh, mindfulness in this context anyway? I feel like it's a word that gets thrown around a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. Um, so how I view mindfulness and you could find a kajillion different definitions or applications or any of that. But I view it as trying to be in the here and now and noticing things without a sense of judgment. And that is 
so difficult for human beings to remove judgment anyways. Totally. But then there are like, if you, if you read a little bit about mindfulness or if you start to practice it in any way, um, one of the things that really sticks out to me is what is called beginner's mind. Just kind of like think of yourself as like a, a toddler doing something for the first time. There's all this curiosity and interest and and not like you don't have a sense of self-judgment yet. And so it's approaching things as if for the first time every time you do them. Um, and I think in a lot of ways in this industry, what that combats is that sense of complacency and resentment and then also allows you to maybe look at each interaction with every guest as kind of a new and exciting thing rather than something to be like, Oh, again, or I have to put on this fake face again. Um, and, and I think that mindfulness gets confused with meditation a lot. And I don't necessarily think obviously meditation is a really like positive thing that you can do if, you have the time and the inclination and you can practice it. Um, but mindfulness is in everything. You can take a shower and be mindful in the shower. You can take a bite of your food and really like give yourself a sense of what am I doing in this moment? Is the texture of this lettuce new? And what do I get out of that? Um, kind of removing our sense of is this good or is this bad and just letting it be as it is. Mm. So it's, it's more like just really being there. Like yeah. Really, really fully experiencing things. Yeah. And it's a practice, like all mm. things that like, you know, I remember when I first, someone first talked to me about mindfulness in a meditation sense. And I have a very busy brain as most people in this industry do. Like totally. you have to carry a whole bunch of stuff. So most of us are running at like a million miles per hour anyways. Um, but I thought that meditation meant being perfectly silent in your brain. And I was like, well, this is bogus. It's never going to happen for me. <laughs> like I clearly cannot meditate. And that's really not it. Like I often think about it almost like a highway where you just let things go and yeah. they just go by. And there was a, there was a quote I read a long time ago that I will seriously mess up, but basically to sum it up is like the moment that you have noticed that you are not present, you are present again. Mm. And so it's not a you have to do this perfectly in becoming mindful. It is just noticing and and kind of allowing your space to just be in the moment. Mm. Yeah, I, I um have have a meditation practice as well, and I think one of the things that's also important about it is not beating yourself up for not being perfect. Yeah, you know? <laughs> like just kind of there's an acceptance to it too. Where and even if you're not, if you don't have a specific meditation practice, but just being mindful in your day-to-day -day life. It's like, we're, we're all going through this. We all, like, all of our minds are kind of the same, you know. We have to we have to just be okay with, like, oh, it, we're not going to be perfect. Um, yeah. But what is what are some ways that you can start maybe practicing just day-to-day, -day? maybe some simple things? Where, where would you begin to help yourself change? Um, I kind of look at it like ritual. So ritual for human beings is incredibly stabilizing and it's why so many religions have rituals associated with them. And, you know, we, we get kind of addicted to ritual. Um, and mindfulness can become a ritual that you practice. So like 
you think about when everyone used to smoke cigarettes. Like, you always got a five-minute break because you were a smoker. And I've I've never been a smoker. So, like, I was always incredibly jealous of that behind the bar because I don't, I don't have a reason to go stand outside and just breathe deeply for five minutes. It doesn't matter if you're breathing nicotine air. Like, that is in and of itself – a mindfulness habit. And of course there's then the addictive chemicals wrapped in to cigarettes. But like, if you think about you get to walk outside and breathe in really slowly and maybe even hold your breath for a couple of seconds and then breathe out really slowly mm-hmm. and just notice everything that's around you. And you have all of the ritual tied in with what do you do with your pack of cigarettes? What do you do with your lighter? What, like, what are all those things? Like, how do you take that, um, calming aspect and put it into your life in a different way. So like whether it's going and standing in the walk-in for 10 seconds and taking one really deep cleansing breath or in the morning when you wake up before you pick up your cell phone and check your text messages and your email and your Instagram and whatever, like taking five minutes to sit in bed and really notice what your body feels like and give yourself a minute to like listen to what things sound like, go through your senses. Um, There's a whole bunch of really simple ways to do it. Mm. And I think part of it is figuring out what really feels good to you. I like one of the things that I do when I leave work every day. So it is a very stressful environment to work Mm -hmm. in, in patient addiction. Um, Things are, changing constantly and I am really cognizant that I don't want to bring that home um so when I leave I'm very scent sensitive so I have one specific roll-on scent that lives in my car and when I get in my car I roll that scent on and I smell that for my 10 minute drive home which is not very long Mm -hmm. and by the time I get home that's kind of been my transitional object And it changes entirely what I am bringing back into my regular day-to-day life. And I try to just kind of like use that repetition of scent to then leave it, leave it at work, basically. Mm. So it sounds like it could be something that you're doing already. Like you are driving home from work already, but you just made it more of an intentional thing. Uh, I do something similar in the morning. I make coffee Mm -hmm. and I, and I, use a French press, not, not because I like a French press, just cause like I got one for free a long time ago and <laughs> what I have, but you know, it takes five minutes to make coffee. So I started like, you know, grinding the coffee and doing, I have this little routine and then while it's brewing for five minutes, I, I just like kind of do a very simple, like breathing. Yeah. You know, my eyes closed. Um, and it's really, and then I look at my phone, like after the timer goes off and it's yeah. like, yeah, really helpful way to start the day. So it could be something that we're all just doing already. Right. We can just bring some more intention to. Yeah. More intention. I think intention is such an important word in that. And you're so right because it is, it's our tendency to just pick up our phone in those moments. Mm -hmm. And how do you give yourself the time and the space to, to just let whatever is happening, whatever you're missing be, and be there, like whether it's pumping gas or it's making your morning coffee or whatever, those moments that you can just center within yourself 
It doesn't have to be an hour-long meditation practice. Of course, if you have time and inclination in your day to do that, amazing. But if you don't, that doesn't mean you're failing. Like there's there's all sorts of small rituals that can be regrounding in our days. Mm. And since you started thinking about these things and doing things like this, how have you noticed a change personally? I think, to be honest, I think this has always been a part of my personality. And I just finally figured out what I wanted to do with it professionally. Mm. So I have been drawn since since I was really young to kind of strange and high energy and like slightly off the beaten track type career paths. So I described our industry perfectly. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I came to this after working for years in an equestrian circus. Mm -hmm. So I was touring for a long time, which then is like a really bizarre schedule and a totally strange group of people from all over the world. And I think that throughout my life, I have, like you said, just had these things that have been checkpoints in my day that I've always done. And I never had a name for them and I never had a reason for them, but I had my own little stabilizing routines. And when I got behind the bar, it meant that like, I felt like I had so much more energy Mm. to kind to like give my all and then also walk away from it. Of course, like that doesn't change the going home and having the dreams at night where you wake up and you're like, holy shit, I never gave that guy a water and like <laughs> work stress dreams. Right. And, and this Mine's always about the, like the, the machines with like red LCD displays, <laughs> like not working. Right. And then there's like 20 people coming at once. <laughs> I haven't been behind the bar for, Oh my God maybe six years full time. Mm -hmm. And I still hear like the, the micros printing sound (laughs) like that will haunt us all forever. Um, and, and if I hear it go too many times in a bar that I'm sitting in and I'm not seeing anyone else grab it, I get like really antsy. (laughs) You want to go back there. Yeah, exactly. Like, Oh my God, you have so many tickets ready. But, um, I think like, I think it just became such a natural piece of my own stability. And then I watched so many friends struggling in this industry. And then we've had some like really terrible losses because of not finding balance and either like severe depression that people couldn't couldn't cope with or substance use or life stressors or whatever that's going on that like people weren't getting the help that they needed and I kind of found that what I have always been interested in could actually be an enormous benefit to our industry, which is why I turned around and started down the psychology path mm. and and left kind of all of the supplier side and bar behind. Yeah, it seems like the advice for so long has been like, well, you just got to deal with it. It just, you know, that's life. Just deal with it. Toughen it's up. Like, well, <laughs> Well, how do we deal with it? Because no one seems to be dealing with it well. And Um, there isn't a blueprint in in this industry. Like we're still we're still pretty young and looking at this as a career path. Right. And so we don't have generations and generations of how do you do it right and how do you stay and really what are the career paths? People are forging these completely new. Do you open Mm -hmm. a bar? Do you go work in brands? Do you, you know, like 
do a thousand different things that keep you able to be in this long term. Um, and we're now finally paying attention to, okay, what if, what if you actually want to continue working in a kitchen or working behind the bar or working on the floor as your career? How do you keep your brain and your body safe enough to do that long term without completely falling apart? Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the stress and anxiety of the job. Uh, first of all, like what is the difference between those two things? So it's a really good question. Um, how I kind of contextualize the difference between stress and anxiety is stress is tied to a specific input. Um, so the stress system in your body is actually a hormone system. So you get certain hormones that drive you into having, you know, more rapid muscle firing and take away from unnecessary, um, kind of digestive or like brain processes that are not the fight or flight type things. Mm -hmm. So, a a natural stress response comes from something on the outside stress can then like a stressor can then lead to anxiety. And then that's a little bit more like bringing in that component of worry. Um, so repetitive things that are stressful will lead you to have anxiety about those things. And oftentimes like anxiety is a really important thing for us to feel. Um, there's something that I, love that is called the Yerkes Dodson curve. That's actually looking at like, where is optimal anxiety levels because your performance gets better when you have some anxiety. You don't want to go to a job interview with no anxiety at all. You will suck. Like, <laughs> like if you don't care and you don't have some of that, like jitters and excitement and worry, then you may just really blow it. And if you have too much, then you, you know, freeze or blab or whatever and it all goes to shit anyways excuse me um but in that like perfect peak performance area that's kind of like where people feel like they're in flow and where if you're working time is flying and you're getting everything right and you have just enough anxiety to hold all of those orders in your head and it's working really well and that is a combination of your stress hormones and that kind of like conditioning in your body then anxiety can go into the like non-helpful realm of pervasive anxiety and if you like if you are starting to feel anxious feelings all the time without the stressor tied to it then that's when it becomes a little bit more of a mental health concern um and that is something that is enormously treatable but can go kind of undiagnosed, untreated, unheld for a really long time and can cause a lot of other issues physically and mentally. Mm. So what are some things we can do to keep ourselves from getting to that point? Ooh, <laughs> it's going to be different for everybody. Um, I think managing, and this goes way beyond our industry, but managing stress is such a huge conversation. Um, and it's tied into things like sleep so deeply mm. and having consistency and stability. And, 
you know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I just recently realized I have like a great and intense fear of being bored. And so I very rarely stop doing. And I have equated somewhere in my history, I have equated stability and like calm with boredom. And that's messed up. And I actually think like it's not just me. I think this is a bit of a, a societal concern where like we have so much pressure on productivity and excitement that just stability is almost frowned upon. Yeah, absolutely. And so it, part of this is like learning to really love taking care of yourself and that sounds so silly saying it aloud but like sleeping enough and like the ties between physical symptoms of anxiety and alcohol are really strong because while alcohol is a depressant when you're drinking it it actually kicks your body into flooding you with stress hormones so those like amazing hangovers that you wake up from and you feel like you're having a heart attack, it's actually because of all of the alcohol you put in your system. So it's, you know, like how do we really learn to take care of ourselves and give ourselves repair time and then also take those moments of like grounding and stability during our shifts to be able to let some of it go as it's coming. Like I think working working in the hospitality industry can kind of feel like um, – dodging a whole bunch of bullets Mm. like we're pivoting and adapting and problem solving constantly so you have things like adrenaline pumping through your body every time a new problem comes up and then you solve it and you feel like a superhero and you move on and you do another one and if you do that for eight hours or 10 hours or god forbid 14 hours straight like your body needs some time to repair and we're not that gentle on ourselves yeah and then we also have this entire perfectionist side that we're not going to remember all of the times in the night that we really did it well. We're going to remember that one time we messed up and then kind of like letting that perfectionist rumination go until we beat ourselves up into a total anxious frenzy. I think mm. it's a, it's a vicious cycle if we don't have some self-compassion and some really strong self-care. Yeah. Th- something I think about, that is almost funny to me. I've been thinking about it a lot lately is like the, the, this fight or flight or freeze response that we mm-hmm. all go into. And it's, you know, we all have it. It's this very old part of our brains that, um, we have to just, it's, it's part of us and we kind of have to accept it. But I feel like, um, we get into that really intense, anxious place and it's like, Oh, we ran out of lemons. <laughs> it's like not really an emergency. You know, I always I always <laughs> laugh about the emergencies in our industry or like, oh, we don't have any more of this thing or we're like, oh, we ran out of AP glasses. Well, okay, we'll just use the burgundy glasses like <laughs> we have to use something else and that's like, okay. Not, <laughs> like no one's going to die right now. <laughs> like why are we responding this this intensely, you know? Someone said it to me the other day. I was talking to um, Brittany Leach, who works for Lush Life, and they do a lot of amazing programming for our industry. And um, and she was saying one of the things 
that she was told as a bartender a long time ago was it's not life or death. It's lunch and dinner. (laughs) And like that has stuck with me because I've always said like, we're not saving lives here, but it feels like it in the moment. Yeah. And the anger that your manager has for when you mess up feels like you just killed someone. So it's kind of amazing that like, like you said, you run out of lemons and like, that is the worst thing that could happen. And also it's like, okay, so we can't make drinks with lemons in them. Like that's just how it is. But like it, it kind of then feeds into that instant gratification that on the customer expectations, it's like, oh my God, we're so afraid to be a disappointment mm-hmm. and, and like have to have that conversation and it, the defensiveness that comes with that and all of it. It's yeah. It's amazing. The stress that we take on for these things that are really in the big picture, not going to kill any of us. Yeah. I just, uh, I just did an episode about um, these things too. Something that helps me is, is like, am I even going to remember this in like two days? (laughs) Why am I so stressed out about it right now? And that's just something that helps me slow down a little bit. Um, But what, what are some other examples of things we can do in those moments where we run out of lemons or or we break something or the or the dishwasher overflows or it's like what like how do we slow ourselves down and realize like no it's like it's okay right <laughs> we're all going to be okay we don't um cuz i feel like we need to do that like throughout our shift um, yeah what what are some ways that help with that I like that reality test of am I going to remember this in a couple of days? Um, I think another good question is like if I tried to describe this to my mom, would she care? (laughs) Like, would she know it was a big deal? Would that make any sense to someone who does not work in this industry? Yeah. That like that was the end of the world. Um, And like I think part of this actually taps into the community feeling that we have is like finding hilarity in those moments of stress with your coworkers is really important. Like Mm -hmm. you can completely get wrapped up in the meltdown or you can take a moment and think like, this is so ridiculous and we're going to get through it and it's going to really suck And it's also simultaneously so ridiculous that we now have like 10 people yelling at us because a dishwasher is broken. Like in any other circumstance, that would never happen. But here we are and we're in it together. (laughs) And there is like that community vibe that I think I think that's one of the really hard toxic things to get through is when you don't have that feeling with your coworkers and when like one person carries all of the anger for the entire bar and then it's feeding into someone else and and you don't have the opportunity to look at something and take a beat and laugh and then fix it because someone else is already barking down you know mm-hmm. so trying trying to keep that perspective and like there is I, i'm saying all of these things that sound like it means you need to move slowly And actually, I I think it's quite the opposite. Like, at least for me, being 
working in these environments, a sense of urgency is like one of the most important things, but you can move quickly and also not take it too seriously. Mm. And quickly does not mean frantic. And I think when people forget how to re-engage, like basically you were talking about that fight or flight or freeze, that's like deep inside your midbrain, like our lizard brain. And when we get flooded with stress hormones that are just engaging our midbrain, everything in our like frontal cortex that is all of our decision making and logic gets turned off. And so it's taking that moment to be like, okay, I need to re-engage the parts that make me an, an evolved creature so that I can have, you know, emotional connection with the people around me and I can make good decisions and I'm not going to fly around like a bee. I am going to be like strategic and efficient and treat this with gravity and also know that like this is not the end of the world. So for those who hit that like fight or flight moment and have a problem coming back online, I think it is really important to take a moment to do something that re-engages the rest of your human brain so you are not operating like, you know, panicked lizard running around the bar. It's not helpful for anyone. Mm. And probably not taking a shot at those moments. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I have a I have a love hate relationship with that answer for a lot of things, because in a way, chemically, sometimes that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. Um, It is enough of a like depressant that. It can help if if you are. Kind of overcharged. Mm. but it also isn't going to help immediately. So like the camaraderie of taking a non-alcoholic shot is actually just as effective in that moment as taking the alcohol because alcohol is going to take a minute. Well, not a minute. It's going to take like 20 minutes to actually do anything. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to have the effect anyways, which probably means you're going to take more than one. And at a certain point you, you have gone past the help point into the okay now your body is working real hard to work through the alcohol and you're putting just extra stress into into your system Mm. so (laughs) there is there is a lot to be said for that emotional social connection of taking the shot and taking the pause with your coworkers to be like we're in this together and we are a family here and we're on this sinking ship and we're gonna figure it out does it need to be you know hundred proof Eh, probably not yeah so there's a balance to it everything yes (laughs) (laughs) if there could be like one key word it would be balance um easier said than done (laughs) yeah and it's and then it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with um like making it a ritual yeah Um, like really appreciating it and not i think taking shots and doing things like that like gets dangerous when that just becomes another thing that's part of you know, the routine and then that's just more drudgery, you know, but if, if it's really special, there's been moments where we've like, I've taken a shot with my coworkers in the back and like, you know, like really knows it and really like toasted and, and like really made it a, a moment like, all right guys, like we, we did this and 
and that's been very positive. But I think it's it's like, you know, I, I had to step away from this bar a little bit because I was just like pouring tequila into my glass of soda water like periodically throughout the night. And yeah, like, well, that's probably not. The yeah, most just thing. to survive. Yeah. So maybe we talk a little bit about um, how alcohol and other substances are just part of this puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. There is a piece of that, of what you were saying that I've never really thought of thought about this, but I, I do think it's kind of a cool thing about taking shots is I don't know when the like eye contact ritual started Mm. when you take shots. And now I think it's grown to like, some people are like, you have to see eyes and teeth, which means you have to make eye contact and you have to smile at the person, which in a lot of ways, that's really cool. That's, that is the mindfulness and the ritual there. It really doesn't matter what's in the glass anymore because you've taken the time to have like a human connection with the person you're taking a shot with. Um, so there are some real benefits to those moments and whether you have the time to really enjoy what's in the glass or not, if you're enjoying the person you're doing it with that, that makes it worth it. Um, but then, like you say, this is a puzzle and alcohol and substances across the board, illegal and illegal are a huge piece of this industry. And and part of that is because our office is everyone else's playground. Um, so like if everyone around you is getting drunk and you're helping that and your job is actually to make that fun and be the social lubricator. It's really hard to say, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to do the same. And the expectation, I think maybe like five years ago, let's say five, 10 years ago when the people that were starting to really get noticed were because the person behind the bar was bigger than any of your friends or anyone else in the establishment. So you go to a place because that personality behind the bar was what brought you there. So it was like a dinner show basically, but it meant that that person had to always be that person. They had to be big. They had to be drunk. They had to be, you know, like inviting and lively and remember everyone's name. And, and that expectation um, of being the life of the party is a lot to put on one human being. Um, and it means that you can't have an off day. And so, you know, there's a whole lot of reasons why alcohol and drugs started becoming such an important part of this and kind of have always been an important part of this. But I do think like there is a shift recently towards how, how do we build up people that, are doing really amazing things in this industry and are not doing them because they are this massive, drunk, over-the-top, friendly, you know, showman. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that's, like, worth talking about briefly is just kind of the alcohol and cocaine duo because those two... Are, are like 
I don't even want to say these words, but basically like this magic combination in people's minds where it's like, okay, I have this thing that is the camaraderie and the okay and the legal. And it just, it like brings me down just enough and like gives me kind of that social lubricant. And then I have this stimulant that makes me feel like a superhero and punches through the alcohol. And then I'm a little bit too high. So then I'm going to take another shot and brings me back down. And then it's like this bizarre dance of drinking the tequila and soda water and like ripping lines in the bathroom with your coworkers until like your body just shuts down. It's not like it's it's not sustainable and it's really unhealthy and actually alcohol and cocaine together create a totally new toxic substance in your liver that is so much harder to metabolize and so those hangovers last longer and so people have a tendency to then do alcohol and more cocaine to get through the hangovers it's terrifying to me and it has become such a like norm in the bar world and in kitchens um, that of course people want to run from this industry. You get tired, you start to feel old. I turned 35 this month. I can't imagine being 35 and like just blowing through cocaine and booze every night. Like my body would start to fall apart. So I do think there's like figuring out how do we really support balance and be willing to have those conversations of like, Hey, this is not a sustainable lifestyle and you don't need to be that person, um, in order for people to want to come and visit you behind the bar or want to work with you or want to hire you, or, you know, you don't need to be awake for 22 hours to be considered a good employee. And that I think particularly back of house is a big conversation of like, how, how do chefs get enough protection to not have to be working those insane hours and stay awake and then drink themselves to sleep so they can nap for four hours and come back to work. And yeah. It's a tough industry. <laughs> it's a, it's a lot. Like you start scratching at any one of these little scabs and it's like, Oh God. Okay. <laughs> um, but without talking about them, like how on earth do we change them? And, and there is a lot to be changed and there is a lot to be kept because there's a lot of good in this industry. Mm-hmm. And I think a huge a huge part of that is the passion that people come at this with and keeping that passion alive is far more sustainable. If you are not drinking a ton and on a lot of cocaine. <laughs> Great words. Great advice. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. It was, yeah. a, it was a pleasure having you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. That was Brenna McHugh. I loved what she said about rituals and how incredibly grounding and positive they can be. So try this. Find something that you do every day already, something simple like making coffee, and make it your ritual. Put some positive intention behind it and see how you feel. Make sure to check out your86.com. That's Y-O-U-R-E-8-6.com for much, much more. And why not share this episode with one of your colleagues that you think it might help? Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.